0: Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for sticking through those commercial breaks. Just want to quickly remind everyone, if you have not already bought your issue of the latest print mag, the censorship-resistant issue is available online at the Bitcoin Magazine store. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of that and everything else available on the show. P, do you want to introduce our next guest? Absolutely. We have Craig Raw with us,
1: creator of I would argue one of the most interesting desktop wallets, wallet coordinator software out there, does an amazing job of showing you enough information that you can figure out exactly what's going on with your Bitcoin transactions, but it also gives you enough breadcrumbs that it inspires you to go a little bit deeper and to understand the transactions in more detail. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to dive in.
2: Hi, guys. Great to be here.
1: Thank you so much. What would you add to that that introduction? How did you get into the Bitcoin space? What inspired you to create Sparrow Wallet? And what led you to where you are today?
2: I would say what inspired me to get into it was really just, you know, starting off just wondering how this thing could exist and how it could survive and really trying to answer the question of you know what's going to kill it I tried for many years to figure that out in the end i couldn't find a way and so you know that just led to greater passion and then that yeah that kind of led me eventually so much time spent on it spent thinking about it that i just wanted to spend my time building something in the space that's what i do i create products so i just wanted to create a product in the bitcoin space and the wallet seemed like the natural place to go Mainly because at the time, I was really battling to create a good multi-sig setup. I was trying to use the Electrum wallet to do that. And I ended up just sort of having to hack a whole lot of stuff together, writing custom scripts. And I just didn't like the way that it felt. It didn't feel very secure to me. So it's kind of where it began. It was just, you know, a few little things on the edge. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. I started building a wallet right at the start of COVID, had lots of time. And just one yeah, it just kind of grew from there.
1: What what led to some of the design decisions that you that you made specifically with Sparrow wallet? Was that just an organic process in terms of what you wanted to see or were you really consciously thinking about what might you know entice people to learn more about their Bitcoin transactions? So the
2: the way i first of all i want to say that i you know primarily build sparrow for myself and i think about my own needs i think that's the best way to build a product and that's not to say that every single thing i build is something that i you know you know use a lot myself but it's it's certainly a good place to start from when i you know think about interacting with you know the bitcoin that i have make transactions and so so forth I want to know what's going on. You know, I, I have the sort of, you can call it the sort of hodler's fear, if you will, that when you have to make that large transaction, maybe you are moving from a, a less secure to a more secure setup, that you you need to make a transaction to move your wealth. And that's a scary moment for anyone. Um, and, and really, you know, trying to, how, how do you reduce that fear? How do you make yourself stress less in that In that experience, how do you know you're getting it right? The only way to know is to A, know what you're doing, and B, have the information so that you can correlate that to what you know. Sparrow is really an attempt to give you that information and to provide some tools which can help you learn, you know, can kind of, you know, reveal things over time. So you're not bombarded with every piece of information from the start, but you can choose to dive in further and further and that i think is a good way to learn a good way to figure things things out but ultimately it's really about trying to make it so that you can transact in a way that is not only feels like you know what you're doing but also allows you to have the tools to be able to do it in a private and secure way as well
1: i love it what were the i just love like i'm i'm looking at the 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 way that you lay out the UTXOs that are being combined and then showing the change outputs, where it's going. And then, in fact, I'm just gonna share my screen. This is a wallet that I created for the purposes of this conversation. And so I've gone in, I sent myself two transactions, you know, just like a couple bucks or whatever. And I'm now at the the send, the send screen or the send tab. And walk me through sort of like what we're seeing here and how someone should make a decision about this specific transaction
2: yeah i mean you know i think the you know what you're kind of looking at here is you know you you clearly have if we go to the transaction diagram first which i think is sort of a good way to be able to see what the transaction looks like right first of all we have to understand the concept of that every bitcoin transaction is a collection of outputs, one or more, and then that is, sorry, a collection of inputs, one or more, and then that through this transaction becomes a, several outputs plus the fee that must be paid. So that's really what we're looking at there. We're look, looking at the the inputs there on the left and the outputs on the right, and that they, kind of the transaction diagram is just a way of being able to show you what's going on. So what we have here is two inputs and it's going into a send output, which would be the address that you entered at the top, the amount that you've entered below it. And then additionally, there's an output below it. That's the that's the output in the middle. And that's your change output. So you are sending change back to yourself. And this is a fundamental part of how Bitcoin works. Right. It's not an account in the classical sense. It is a a system where we destroy every UTXO and create new ones with every transaction that we have and if we don't have an exact amount to send then we must send change back to ourselves so that's kind of you know one of these fundamental things which is pretty basic for anyone who's been into this and probably everyone who's listening to this chat but it's not clear to everyone and that's kind of wanted to wanting to sort of highlight these basics i guess is where it all begins You can then take that information into more complex transactions like coin joins and sort of understand them and understand what's going on and, and how they can make you more secure at the bottom of those outputs it's actually not an output it is the fee but it's shown kind of as money going out and that fee is then the amount that you pay to the miners for that transaction so we can see in the sort of middle of that area we can see and a place to adjust the fee rate, which is currently set to, I think, pretty low, but you can move that up. And if you move that up, you obviously get your transaction possibly processed faster. So that is an absolute, you know, kind of value in Sats, which you are then paying. And you can then see uh, that you're hovering over now, that's the sort of fee graph. And if you go to the the little toggle above it, you'll be able to see what the mempool currently looks like. So we can see that, you know, that mem- mempool, we I'm sure we're all familiar with it now, but it's it's not sort of empty. We can see that there are some transactions in it. And that can give us an idea of how much it is that we are needing to spend on our fee. So that's kind of that that view is really just trying to give you all the tools that you need as you construct whatever transaction it is that you want to send.
1: Yeah, and again, I mean, I I can't say it enough times. I think this is such a novel thing because I'm not aware of any other wallet or desktop wallet that that gives you this much information in such a compact space. You know, I'm used to going and having to, you know, pull up mempool.space, look at the the mempool, come up to my own conclusion about what fee, you know, what fee I want to set. And just for the audience, you know, with a Bitcoin transaction, you can you basically get to decide how strongly you want to incentivize miners to put your transaction into the next block. So you get to choose, you know, if it's a transaction that you know it is not super urgent you can set it extremely low and then be confident that it will eventually get confirmed within a day or two apologies for the dog barking if you're if it's more urgent you set a higher fee and then basically miners are more likely to pull it into that block and so this chart and the system you have here just makes it super clear and easy to understand like how that's going to work and what what the what competitive environment you're interacting with within the mempool at any given time so tell me more about the, the privacy analysis part of this.
2: Sure. So, you know, it's actually pretty similar to what you get. If you've ever been to the sort of block stream, block explorer. sports explore, explore, they kind of give you a little bit of information there at the bottom of every transaction. This is kind of similar to that, right? It's a pretty basic analysis. You know, I'm not going to claim that it's doing any, any kind of deep transaction graph. I analysis here, but it's just trying to give you some, some tips. So for example, if you send to a different address type, now we can see from the the address that we're sending to to here that we're sending to a SegWit address. If your wallet is of a different address type, then the change will be going out to a different type. Now that's kind of clear to anybody looking at this transaction which of those two outputs is sending out and which of them is the change amount. So that's kind of giving you a little bit of information about how much you might be revealing when you send this. There's other information that you can get, like, for example, if you're sending out a round amount, then people can pretty much guess that if one is a round amount and the other one is... Kind of just a random number that again you probably know which one you are actually sending out of the wallets and which one has changed so that's kind of what it's doing It's just giving you a few tips that you might want to consider in order to keep yourself a little bit more private
1: very cool very cool
0: q you got any thoughts questions i'm just waiting for my moment to share what i shared with you i'm not yet ready to sh- to admit to craig where i am in my in my spare wallet journey so you have to keep going for a little bit until I get more comfortable. All
1: right. Well, you know, what I, what I kind of wanted to, to talk to you about is just, you know, multi-sig, obviously Sparrow Wallet. I'm curious if there's other things that you'd like to, you know, share around the development of Sparrow Wallet, kind of where it is, where you'd like to see it go. Where, where are you? That's actually an interesting question. Where, what is next for Sparrow Wallet? What are the features that you are most excited to add in there as we go forward?
2: you know I, I think part of being a good application developer is is not building too much you know my my goal is to not try and cram everything that i can into this this thing you'll notice that there's a conspicuous absence of any layer 2 and that's just because i don't think that layer 2 solutions are really there yet and i need to be fairly conservative with you know, what I'm going to put in there. I don't want to be trying to chase something which is rapidly changing, which often breaks, which is going to create a lot of user issues. And I don't want to add a lot of features to the interface that make it more difficult to understand what is going on. That is a very important thing. You know, before I add any button or any additional UI to what is already a pretty, you know, pretty busy UI in some areas of the app, you know, I really take a step, step back and I kind of think about it a lot. And Often the answer is just no. It's just not worth the confusion that that particular UI element might create. So I just want to kind of say that first is it's a pretty high bar. What I do a lot of the time is actually stuff that you can't really see. There's a lot of internal improvement going on right now. Just this week, I'm working on sort of optimizing. So I actually work, you know, making sure that Sparrow can run on sort of older computers. Some Something which is quite a, interesting to think think about is that as our cpus are getting more advanced over time so they are also becoming more insecure and often the older cpus that we that you can find are actually have more provable security on them simply because they have less features making sure that sparrow can run on those older computers is actually pretty important to certain people who Who have large amounts of funds to control who you know really care about making sure that every layer of their stack is important so as i say it's 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 really about the security that matters rather than building the latest feature i i don't want to be on the bleeding edge i want to be conservative i want to think carefully you know a lot of the things that i added might seem relatively new in the world but i mean samurai wallet had 47 in for many years you know it it is a proven well well well-known structure structure that's been around for a long time and stood i think the test of time so you know that's kind of the way that i am looking at things it's just it's just kind of wanting to see what is out there what makes sense what looks like a good product, what is a successful product, you know, one of the reasons I've built Whirlpool and over the other coin CoinJoin solutions is simply because it is clearly a, a an attractive product. You can see it growing over time. You can see the success. That's the kind of thing that I think I want for Sparrow and I think Sparrow users want. So, you know, that's kind of the way that I think, think about, it, about, about it. I don't have anything major that I'm working on right now. But as I say, there's lots of, in terms of features anyway, but as I say, there's lots of work going on under the hood to really just make things more robust and more secure.
1: Got it. So just for the audience, BIP47 refers to reusable payment codes or, P- or pay NIMS, which basically you can have a single address that you know people can send to, and it also still preserves your privacy rather than using a single Bitcoin address, which if you do that, then everyone can look up that address on a, you know, blockchain explorer and see all of the transactions that have happened associated with that. So it'd be like, you know, paying someone and then, you know, they, they get full visibility into your bank account. Now there's other solutions to this as well. That's why almost, you know, any modern wallet will will give you a, a brand new address every time you go to receive a transaction. That's a way to preserve your privacy. And so PayNIMS, bin 47 are sort of a, a, a way to do that while not having to give a different address every time. So one thing, Craig, you know, you mentioned that you're you're not super convinced about layer two technologies. So I, you know, the, the the most dominant one is of course the Lightning Network. Talk to me more about what your concerns are there, or what it would take for you to feel like that was a robust solution. Because I, I certainly think of it as a super super robust layer two that is being used every day.
2: Yeah. So I, I don't want to say that I'm you know against lightning that's certainly not the take that i have i stay very close to it i try and read as much as i can about what's going on i i I definitely am interested and hopeful that it will succeed but there are certain areas of it that do concern me i am worried that it is has a tendency towards centralization and i am concerned about the privacy so both of those those things well certainly the privacy side i know is being worked on and i'm i'm sort of very uh, very keeping very close tabs on that but you know there's some way to go on that frankly it's it's it certainly isn't there today at least not for the receiver then there's just the robustness of sending payments you know it's not as robust as we would like and i think there's been lots of people who've done informal polls i've certainly had you know experiences where payments haven't gone gone through I've sat and tried to analyze why they are not going 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 through and there really aren't a huge number of answers you know it's it's just the the sort of overall feeling that I have right now is that it's still relatively early and that's fine that's you know we're we're in a long game here I don't have any particular demands or or de- deadlines that I'm thinking this thing needs to be ready for by it's it's just a case of you know, wanting to implement things that are robust, that are private, that, that kind of fit the idea of being financially self, self, self sovereign that Bitcoin, that, sorry, that Sparrow is all about.
1: So Craig, someone is asking for your paynems so that they can donate to the Sparrow project. Where can people throw you some stats?
2: Sure. The the payum they can use is just plus Sparrow Wallet, big S, big W, and it's on the donation page as well. But uh, yeah, we've got a custom payum on on that.
1: Very cool, interesting. So you also mentioned coin joins, and that's something that, as you mentioned, Sparrow supports natively. Can you walk us through, you know, what a coin join is, what it attempts to do, and sort of why why it's an important technology?
2: Sure. So, you know, coin joins are really connected to the idea that every time you send a payment, you are revealing information about yourself, that you really have, you know, a, a lack of privacy on layer one. For example, if, if you know, the, the classic example that everyone gives, which I think is still very real and very appropriate, is if you get paid your salary in Bitcoin and then you walk down to your corner store to buy, you know, some milk and you pay them using the UTXO, then the guy at the corner store knows how much you get paid, right? That's a classic example. Now, how do you avoid avoid, that that particular piece of information getting out, out there? And there's a number of ways to do it, but one of the ways to do it is certainly to create some separation and some privacy within your UTXOs itself. So what you're trying to do here. Is to bail is to basically break the link between one utxo and a different different one by introducing some transactions in the middle and those transactions are called coin joins. Coin joins are unique in the sense and here i'll refer to the equal output kind in that you're creating a transaction with other people and in the equal output kind of those you're creating an equal value up out, outputs put, that that means if the three of us come together put in put the same amount in and we all get back the same amount, nobody can tell which of those UTXOs when it comes out belongs to who, right? From the outside, you just can't know. And that's really what a coin join is, right? It's about trying to break the deterministic links between the input UTXOs and the outputs. So once you've broken that link, you, you can then say, right, you know, nobody can then know basically the source of these UTXOs and where they're going, nobody can be quite so so sure. Now, if you do several coin joins back to back, then then you have what you call an, an anonymity set that is growing. So you, every time you you're doing this, you you could be one of five people or one of you know twenty five people, and so so forth. So you kind of that anonymity set grows over time. And typically, once you've done a few of these coin joins back to back, then nobody can really know exactly what the source of your funds are and where they have gone. So you can then spend those in a way that is private. And that's really what a coin join is about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the the trade-off between, you know, absolute auditability, which is something that, you know, in the Bitcoin space, people hold very sacred, right? The idea that there will only ever be 21 million, that comes with the trade-off of, you know, potential Privacy issues and CoinJoin is one of the ways of attempting to address Those issues. Would you agree with that or would you modify what I just said in any way?
2: Yeah, I mean it would be ideal if we had Privacy on layer one, right? That would really be what we would all want But we don't have that for whatever reason. It hasn't been built in and as a result us application developers like Samurai Wallet like myself have had to build that in on the application layer. And CoinJoin is one of those solutions which is sitting at the application layer. So, you know, yes, it is, it is that. It's it sort of, it's it kind of we have this imperfect privacy and we have tools which we make available, available for people to improve the privacy that they have. But ideally, I would, I would, you know. Tomorrow, I would happily go with something which was more private on the base layer, so long as we had the same kind of auditability that we have today. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's in the offing. I don't think that that's likely to happen anytime. So, you know, all we can do at this stage is encourage people to use the tools in order to remain private.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What are, so which specific coin join implementation does Sparrow use?
2: Sparrow uses Samurai's whirlpool. Okay, it does. It does. Yeah, I, I I'm a huge fan of,
1: of Samurai and the stuff that they're doing. Does is it possible to set up? I guess if you're, is it possible to set up Sparrow Wallet so that it is the coordinator for the the coin joins as well? Or if you connect it to your own node, does it work to do that? Or is it? Do you have to use the uh, the Samurai?
2: So, so you actually kind of want to use the Samarac some, some right coordinator because you basically want to have as much liquidity as you can, right? Going back to what I said earlier, you want a larger non-set. And so if you think about it, every time you join a coin join with new liquidity, but new UTXOs coming into the round, we've got what we call a backward-looking anonymity num- set. So that means that all of those UTXOs that have previously coin joined you're going to be connected to a subset of those. And your UTXO could now be looking back part of that in non, non-set, right? So you want that to be as large as you can. And for that reason, it makes a lot of sense for us all to come to one, one kind of point and to to create a big cloud cloud there. If we have a whole lot of coordinators, then obviously that is more decentralized de-central, central, in a way, but it also reduces the liquidity and the non, non, non-sets because every time you do that, you kind of break it down. So definitely Sparrow is not looking to run its own coordinator. We're, we're kind of trying for that reason to you know, be in as large a cloud as we can because that offers the most privacy to our users.
1: So correct me if I'm wrong, I, I thought that when you're using Samurai Whirlpool, you could, can't you run your own Whirlpool server, which still then allows you to participate in the the, the, the general Samurai pools but you're just maintaining your own private keys and control of your UTXOs? Or am I misunderstanding that?
2: So they are all clients. So basically, whether using the Samurai Android app, the Samurai Wallet CLI tool, as it's called, which can run on a small Raspberry Pi, for example, sample, or you're using the Samurai GUI, which is sort of something you can run on a desktop. Or in fact, if you're using Sparrow, all of those are all clients and they all connect to the same coordinator. So you know, you can interchange your clients, you can you can move seeds from one to one to the other, you can even mix on multiple clients, you can do various things, but they're all basically connecting to the same coordinator and they're all kind of the same client. They just have different interfaces and different platforms on which they can run.
1: Oh, interesting. So if you're using Samura or if you're using Sparrow, are you still in control of your, your private keys and your UTXOs the entire time?
2: Absolutely. Oh no you, so, no, you
1: always are, right? It's it's the the only correct. thing that you gain by using. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm conflating it. The only thing that you gain by using the like desktop Whirlpool coordinator, and if, if that's not the right term, I forget, is is that you're not actually sending the the UTXO information to the Samurai servers. Is that correct?
2: Well, with all of these some Samurai tools, I believe you can also connect them to your own your own node sort of setup. So if you use just the Android app for example you can connect that to your own node and you can mix off there they're really just different clients which offer different features right so you know sparrow i think is 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 got enough features in it you know it's a fully featured wallet whereas the whirlpool gui tool is really just for that one function right so you you know it depends what you're kind of looking to do what platform you want to run run it on the cli tool is really quite interesting because you can run it on a low power sort of spc and i think that that's quite interesting for people who kind of want to just leave it running for a long period of time again it's it's just a client so you have to load your seed onto it and then it'll just mix as and when it can. So yeah, that's the, the it. it's it's re- really just about what what kind of client you want to use.
1: Yep, okay, got it. I appreciate it. We got a question from uh, from Cortic who can play an incredible cello if you've not heard him. Asking why TX0 is the most important aspect to understand world.
2: Well, I I I don't know if it's the most important aspect, but let me explain what TX0 is. So basically, whenever you want to put new Uh, Bitcoin into Whirlpool, again, to kind of make it more private, what you are looking to do is to effectively create this transaction, which creates a number of different outputs, which we call premix outputs. And those serve, those outputs serve as your sort of entry point into the Whirlpool itself. So all of that transaction is, is it contains all of the UTXOs that you want to send into Whirlpool. It contains a Whirlpool fee. It contains, of course, the mining fee, which every Bitcoin transaction has to have. And then it contains a number of, as I say, these pre UTXOs, which then go in. Now, these pre UTXOs are slightly higher in value than your normal Whirlpool mix output. So, every, so there's four pools that, that you can choose from, and every pool has a fixed size. Right. So you've got a, you know, in in sort of Bitcoin terms, you've got a 0.05 pool, a 0.01 pool, a 0.5 pool and a 0.001 pool. So you've got these different pools that you can choose from. And at the end of the day, you're going to get a number of UTXOs on the output of Whirlpool of whatever pool size you have chosen. Now, your your premix. UTXOs that you are creating in this pre transaction, this TX0, as I say, those will be of that pool size, but slightly higher because the pre UTXOs actually pay for the whirlpool transactions themselves. This is a key reason why, and this is actually something that confuses people most of the time they kind of get into it, is you send this pre-mix in and then you need to wait some period of time for new liquidity and a new TX0 from someone else to come in and then pay for a mixed transaction so if, at first it'll be you and then after that point you'll be waiting for someone else and that's actually good because it ensures that we have people always mixing with fresh, which sorry with fresh utxos and we're not kind of sort of mixing with ourselves over and over and over right which wouldn't provide the same level of privacy that we are trying to get so that That sort of TX zero is very important because it provides the liquidity and, sorry, it it not only provides the liquidity, but it provides the transaction fees for every single mixed transaction that, that then happens. And this is kind of a key feature of why Whirlpool is as well well reviewed as it is right it's, it's because it has certain structural built-ins if you will that ensure that things happen in a certain way now that does mean that they take more time to happen right it means that people are, are kind of wondering well I've you know put my premix UTXO in I've got my first mixed transaction out but now I'm waiting for my second and my third and it seems to be taking some time and, and that surprises people that kind of used to, you know, I should be able to get as many mixes as I want, whenever I want. But you actually want them to happen over time. And that's because if you imagine that if you got three mixes, one block off the other, it would be pretty obvious to see what was going on. But if they're, one is spaced, you know, 10 blocks, another is 25 blocks and so forth, so forth, you now becomes much harder. So you avoid that sort of timing analysis, which you could otherwise get. So, you know, that's kind of diving into it a little, little bit on of how the TX zero is fundamental in terms of not only ensuring you have a way to enter the world, whirlpool, but also ensuring that, you know, the mixed transactions themselves are always structurally sound and they provide this new fresh liquidity coming in, in order to ensure that the mixes are always kind of more, you know, that, that they have a high degree of, of entropy.
1: Yeah. And... Just to set the stage again we're talking about coin joins which are a privacy enhancing technology on you can use with bitcoin because you know people love to say like oh bitcoin is for black market bullshit but the reality is a blockchain is a terrible terrible thing to use if you're trying to do illicit stuff because the whole idea of a blockchain is that every single transaction can be traced back to exactly where it came from and you know where the change output change outputs went and everything that happened before and then ultimately after that transaction was made. And so and this is important for full auditability on layer 1 bitcoin which allows us to, you know, verify and guarantee that there's only there will only ever be 21 million or however many bitcoin have been issued so far. So coin joins are a way to preserve or to attempt to preserve one's privacy by basically putting it into this larger pool where it is essentially mixed into this large pool. So you get a large, as Craig said, anonymity set, which means that any one of the potential outputs could be from any of the participants in that pool. And so it allows you to, it makes it very economically infeasible for a government organization or for a chain analysis company to basically track, to see like, okay, what did, you know, P buy with this specific UTXO, which he sent from this wallet to this address and that kind of stuff, so it's a uh, it's an important technology are there are there other privacy enhancing technologies on layer 1 that you're excited about
2: you know there's 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 attempts to kind of reinvent things that i i, I think you know the the sort of danger is that we just don't use, we don't just go ahead and use the tools that we have today I would really just love to see more wallets just implement the tools that are currently being built in. I'd love to see more Bit47 wallets out there. I'd love to see more Whirlpool clients. You know are there sort of new tech or anything new coming around the corner obviously taproot is there it does offer certainly more private multisig i think that that's interesting i'm keeping close tabs on music 2 and the different constructions that we could have have there i think it's still a little way off before we we know precisely where you know, most people are going on that. But that's, that's I guess, the sort of number one that I think, think about when I think about how can we take advantage of something new coming in.
0: Love it,
1: love it. So let's shift back to, to the kind of initial frame of the conversation, which is sort of talking about Sparrow and multi-sig setups with Bitcoin. And, you know, for the audience, multi-sig, if you weren't listening earlier, it is a way for you to increase the security of your Bitcoin storage solution by basically having multiple sets of private keys. Two of three is the most common, where in order to sign a transaction, in order to send Bitcoin from an address that you control, you require, you know, in this example, two out of three hardware devices or devices in order to sign those transactions. So people tend to distribute them geographically so that if someone breaks into your house or something, they can't just like, you know, $5 rent you and then force you to, to give them your Bitcoin. So let's go back to sort of setting the frame for for the novice user, Craig. What are some of the considerations that one should take into account when they're considering a multi-sig setup?
2: Sure. So I think, you know, the first thing is to consider is, you know, whether a multi-sig setup is is right you know I personally think it's a good idea but I don't think that it is right for somebody who's a complete beginner I don't think you should go to a multi-sig setup on day one I think you should probably start off with a hot wallet work your way up maybe to a hard hardware wallet and then a multi-sig setup from from there so that's kind of the way that I would think about it first you know I there's there's sort of a way of thinking about it in terms of the value of funds that you control as as well you know, kind of. If you're not controlling very many funds, then really a hot hot wallet is fine. If you're controlling your life savings, then maybe a multi sig is the place you should start. Right? I think you know, in terms of multi sig, there's a few things that I would think about from the start. I would think if you're going, to, you're going to probably be using a number of different hardware wallets to do it. Although that's certainly not a requirement, but it is the norm. I would certainly think about using hardware wallets from multiple vendors because you know, one always worries about, you know, the sort of unlikely chance of there being some kind of a backdoor that could lead to sort of a sunset attack or something of that nature. If you're just using one hardware wallet vendor, I think it's very unlikely. But nevertheless, it's nice having the peace of mind that even if, you know, one hardware wallet has some kind of a vulnerability, if you're using two, you know, three different kinds, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. Then, then you know that that uh, they would have to compromise two of those three in a normal multi sig setup in order for the, your multi sig your for your funds to be at risk. And the chances of that are just so so low that you can it's essentially write that off. Then, in terms of once you've set the wallet up, you know uh, something that is not well understood and needs to be often repeated is that you need to make a backup of all of the, the, the sort of public keys, the X pubs in that wallet. And that's because every time you create a spending script for that wallet, you need the public key of that particular UTXO that you're trying to spend. Now, that can be done either just by save, saving lots of copies of your encrypted Sparrow wallet all over, over the place. And the encryption that is used, as so long as using a decent pass, password, makes it pretty safe to do. But you can also write out the output descriptor for that wallet, which is also available on the settings tab in Sparrow. And that contains all of the XPubs X within it. So that's just an important thing because if you lose, for example, going back to this two of three, one of those hardware wallets and you lose the seed, right? So you've lost everything that you know about that particular hardware wallet, 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 you will then need at least the XPub for that wallet, so at least the public keys for it in order to construct a spending script and being able to move your funds. So that's the other thing that's really important, and I think there's some repeating in terms of multi-SIG itself, and just making sure that you kind of are getting the most out of it. Something that I particularly value is the ability to separate the devices in a geographic way. So, you know, it's it's strange that people from different parts of the world have different concerns and different threat models. Or well, perhaps it isn't strange; it's quite obvious. But I certainly always find it interesting. You know from where i am i consider the the sort of the classic five dollar wrench attack to be a threat model that does concern me and as a result i really value the ability to geographically separate the wallets that i have because it just makes it that no nobody can it 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 makes effectively that five dollar wrench attack so much more difficult to execute for example if somebody has to travel to a different country that might make your funds quite difficult to access but for cold storage funds, you shouldn't be trying to access them very frequently anyway. So, you know, what I like to do is is to make make sure that you you're going to have to jump through some hoops if you want to move your cold storage funds, but that's fine because it makes any kind of an attack really, really hard to execute. And that's one of the things about multi-seg that I really like.
1: Yeah, I think you, you made a great point that there is a there needs to be a threshold above which one considers multi-sig. you know, if you're just sort of starting out, you need to go through the steps and make sure that you're fully comfortable with and deeply understand the trade-offs there because multi-sig, as you said, is more complicated. You do have to track more information. It's not enough just to have, a backup of those seed phrases you also need the xpubs or unencrypted sparrow you know backup as you were saying and so you know when i first set up multisig I, I you know when i first set up a hardware device i you know created the the seed phrase you know wiped the device restored it sent myself a transaction sent it back and you know with multisig i think it's really important that people also go through those steps with test amounts before they commit a significant amount of bitcoin to any specific you know scheme because it is about, you know, Bitcoin is, among many things, about kind of radical personal financial responsibility. And there is no one who can, you know, reverse your transaction or give you back your funds if you fuck it up. So don't fuck it up. There's incredible guides out there.
2: I think that that's a great, great point that you make there. You know, any wallet that you set up before you trust any actual funds to it, always send test transactions to it. And once you have your cold storage setup, you know, don't just leave it alone and say, oh, well, it's good. You know, do regular transactions to it. Do a scheduled one, no matter how difficult you make it for yourself. Go to the time and expense of ensuring that you do a regular test spend from that wallet. You can send the funds back to yourself. Just make sure that you know what's going on because we're all human. Our brains do forget things over time. And just that regular practice, I think, is very important.
1: I mean, it also makes a great excuse to travel, right? If you've got, you know, your 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 signing devices in multiple countries, I mean, you have to fly around the world, you know, once a year or something, and just test them out, you know. Otherwise, sure.
2: Sure. (laughs) Hmm. You've
1: been you've been incredibly quiet this entire time. I know you're you are bursting at the seams
0: with. I mean, to be honest with you, I just I I was doing a little bit of macro research and like my heart sank and seeing a couple of things that, but. I I think I have now reached a point where I'm comfortable admitting to Craig just how much of a pleb and noob I really am at this stuff. So, Craig, I actually, like, full disclosure, like, I'm a jackass when it comes to my self storage. As I mentioned to NVK, like, I have a cold card that I've not even taken out of the packaging for reasons that are genuinely valid in my opinion. And I don't give a shit what anyone says. What? What, Chris? Keep going. Anyways, so Jackass over here still uses wasabi and was shamed by both P and our producer. And they highly suggest that you spare so I was like, fuck yes. Give me a new solution. Let's go. Give me something better. Craig, why did you have to shame me in the moment I like try to set this up and living at my parents' place? I do not have a node here. So, Jackass, like, I got so overwhelmed in the setup process and so shamed by just the color scheme you have introduced. So, I want to maybe unlock this a little bit. And while I may know some of the answers to these questions, just entertain me while I ask them. Why'd you make me feel like such an asshole for not running my own node?
2: (laughs) Great question. Yeah. So, you know, I think the important thing here is that if we look back, you know, you know, the biggest dis- discussions and worries and concerns that, you know, many people in Bitcoin had, if you look back like six, seven years, years ago, is that not enough people are going to run their nodes, right? You know, if we don't run enough nodes, then effectively, what's the point, right? We just have a, a something which is not robust, which is not decentralized. De- it's really important to run your own node uh, for the health of the network. And secondly, and perhaps just as importantly, for your own privacy, right? If you are not running your own node, you are using someone else's node and you are trusting them with not only with your privacy, but also, you know, with the ability to transact. That that is not a good thing. And that, to, to P's point, Bitcoin is a journey of financial personal responsibility. And if you're using someone else's node, then, you know, that's a step that you still need to take. So it's really important to to you know work your way up to it you know there's many people who will start off by connecting to a public server and that's fine you know that's absolutely fine from day 1 i kind of recognize that everyone is on their own journey and you need to get to that that point over time right you you don't want to have to you know do step 10 before you've done step 1 so connect to that server but know that you are sharing that information and that your transactions are dependent on someone else. So work towards the point where you can run your own node, right? That's that's kind of the, the clear goal, goal here that everyone who is connecting to someone else's node needs to at least be thinking about. Yeah, uh, I hope that answers it.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, I am a huge fan of the way that you communicate all the information, as I said at the beginning and specifically around running your own node. So my answer would be cute. You gotta get your shit together. And suck it up and teach yourself how to run your node when you're able to, you know. There's but, there's a valid reason that I don't want to No, publish It's a terrible stuff. reason. That, yeah. that was a terrible reason. I think the valid reason. But but yeah, I think to, to Craig's point, it is super important that as many people as possible are running their own nodes. We we it is it is so important that we that even as adoption of Bitcoin surges for all the reasons we talk about on this show all the time. We also need to be encouraging people to be self-sovereign and to run their own nodes, to set up their own hardware devices, to understand how they work because as we've seen with these recent blowups with places like Celsius, you know, three hours capital, if you don't have control of your keys and you're not setting these things up yourself, you're ultimately just trusting somebody else with that information and to do it for you. And that is a huge risk both to yourself, to your own finances, and to the Bitcoin network. So, I'm a huge fan of the fact spare Sparrow Wallet makes it so so clear, and I think it does a good job of explaining the risks that are involved. So if you felt shame, it's because you should feel shame. You are a shameful person. Shame on you.
0: I mean, honestly, Yo know, Cortic brings up a great point. Pete, let me use your node. You absolutely can. I'll-, I'll uh, But, but it, to Craig's point, like my journey to Bitcoin is different than everyone else's. Do I feel shame? Yes. It's part of the reason why I didn't want to- You shouldn't feel to, like, like shame. But, like, I also kind of recognize like that is the next step of my journey and quite frankly there are just a couple of I don't give a shit if you don't agree with my logic or not my logic is what makes sense in my brain and so sure. therefore it's what I will use I mean, there's a, there's a there's a larger like without explaining the whole nuances of it like I want to keep my KYC bitcoin and my non-KYC bitcoin completely separate like there is a ge- like that is genuinely my rationale to all of this all right our producer Chris said he's gonna fly down to where you are and help
1: you set it up because that's a terrible excuse. You can absolutely start playing with this stuff, you know, messing around with it
0: and learn the process so that you're ready to do that when you're ready. I'm to do trying that. to hide my wealth. Eventually I'm gonna to have to deal with all the KYC Bitcoin I've bought. So I'm trying to go full blown Odell here and like go non-KYC. And yet you're talking about it actively on this show. I mean, like I'll I'll send my UTXO address and everyone can can try to come Jesus. and find me. All right, all right. What other aspects of the, you know, we talked about the specific
1: technologies that you're excited about, Craig, in terms of privacy enhancing technologies. You know, you, we, you talked about Musig, and, or music 2 and we were talking previously with NVK about, you know, I'm really excited about threshold signatures. And I, I'm just curious, what other aspects of Bitcoin, not necessarily associated with privacy, as I asked before, are you excited about? What technological developments do you think are the most promising right now?
2: Well, the, the one that I'm really hoping about is that we're gonna we're gonna see more active development on is a cross input signature aggregation. Mm. Um, that for me is the soft fork. I would be behind. You know, it's what that that is is effectively every time we create a Bitcoin transaction, every input that we were talking about earlier needs to have a signature on it, and that signature is the largest part of a Bitcoin transaction in terms of bytes, right? So when we're talking about a blockchain, which is half a terabyte in size, most of that half a terabyte is signature information. So it represents a lot of weight that everyone has to transmit and has to to store if we can find a way to reduce that anyway then we can not only make the blockchain more scal- scalable which i think is always important but it actually has certain other things which are which are very interesting as well so one way to do that is to take all of those sign- sign- signatures every one for every input and to basically combine them all just to add them all together now taproot uses a kind of signature called schnorr And Schnorr has this very interesting property to it where you can actually add all of these signatures together and then you can verify the entire thing. That means that we can effectively, for every transaction where we do this, we have, instead of having one signature per input, we have one signature per transaction. Now you can imagine how much blockchain space we can save with this, right? But the really interesting additional thing that this gives us is it actually makes privacy focused transactions cheaper. Because now all of a sudden, if I come together with UP and UQ and we create a transaction together, we can then all add inputs to that, have one signature to it, and we can all share the transaction fee. Right. So do you see how that suddenly cuts the transaction fee in, in a third? Right. And not only yep. does that create a more private transaction because we're now all adding inputs and that breaks the common ownership heuristic, but also it is cheaper. Right. So usually changes to Bitcoin do not really take off unless there is a financial incentive for them. And cross input signature aggregation creates a financial incentive for cheaper, for, for sorry, for more private actions and that for me is really important, right that's that's the way that you get change to actually happen. So I'm really hoping to see more work on that. It's going to require you know a a sort of a PR. it's going to require a soft soft fork to make that happen. It's certainly not a simple piece of work, but I really hope that that's the work that starts to get more attention in the coming months.
1: Yeah, I, I love that I think. The beauty of Bitcoin, or one of the many beauties, but to me, one of the things that is the most exciting, as I talk about a lot on the show, is just the the incentive structures. And so I completely agree that until there is a financial incentive for people to use more private transactions, it's not something that will catch on in a significant way. So it's a great answer. It's a fantastic answer. Well. I wonder if, I'm curious if there are, actually let me frame the question in a different way. I just asked, what are you most excited about in the Bitcoin space right now? What do you think is the largest threat to Bitcoin in today's world, given where we are?
2: To be honest, I, I think that there is, you know, I, I sit on the Bitcoin dev list and I really worry about the level of conversation that I see see there. I worry that, you know, if we have too much fragmentation and division within the Bitcoin community working on Bitcoin, then we may very well have a situation where Bitcoin ossifies sooner than we might ideally like it to. Now, that might be fine. It might be that Bitcoin is kind of okay as it is. But I'd don't necessarily believe that to be true. I think that, you know, it is, there are all kinds of improvements being worked on, some of them, you know, less controversial than others, sure, but if it becomes too difficult to make change, then people will simply give up and and that's not an altogether bad bad thing. There's certainly certain pros to that, but I do hope that it doesn't happen sooner than it otherwise should. So, you know, for example, if if we are going to see you know cross-input signature aggregation happen, it could very well be blocked simply because people come up with all kinds of spurious arguments of why it isn't good. Right? That's that is that does worry worry me to some extent because it does seem to be. That, you know, there's just a lot, of, a lot of voices these days who come up with sort of intellectual masturbation, if you will, on certain points that seem to not really have any particular useful purpose to them. And I think that, you know, that could be viewed as an attack on Bitcoin itself. Just, you know, kind of throwing FUD in there, throwing a lot of noise in there and just making it difficult for anyone to get anything done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation and I would strongly encourage everyone that's listening to follow Craig, check out Sparrow Wallet. Craig, where can people follow you? Where can they download Sparrow Wallet?
2: Sure. You can follow me pretty much everywhere on at Craig Raw and you can find Sparrow Wallet at sparrowwallet.com, all one word. So just the word sparrow, the bird, and sparrowwallet.com and that's pretty much where you can you can get it you can find the github and all of those 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 things yeah
1: is there anything else that you want to to promote or shill before we end today any other comments you want to leave the audience with
2: not really you know I, i think the the most important thing is you know to ensure that you you just kind of follow the the kind of now well documented process of becoming a A true kind of bitcoiner in the sense of getting your coins off an exchange getting them onto a wallet that you control controlling the private keys making sure you run your own node queue you know just 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 you know don't stop don't feel that you have to get all the way to as i said step 10 at first but don't stop that journey keep working at it keep trying to understand you know use the privacy tools learn them because you don't want to need them when it's too late, you know, so start figuring all of those sorts of things, things out, you know, I often get asked, Oh, it's too complex for me. I don't understand, you know, but it, you can understand the first step. You can get into it. You can, you can start and don't get overwhelmed, you know, just pick away at it. And it will, it will eventually make sense.
0: I'm going to hold myself accountable and say, Craig, the next time either we see each other or speak again, I promise to have improved my own journey. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, man. P, I keep just stealing the the wind out from under you, so I'll mute myself.
1: No, no, you're good, man. I was just going to say, reminder to the audience, Bitcoin Amsterdam is coming up. It's going to be absolutely incredible. If you have not already got your tickets, go to btc slash b.tc slash conference, and you'll be able to check that out. We have a new edition of Bitcoin Magazine out right now, the censorship resistant issue, which again, I'm super proud of it. It is by far and above the best magazine, the best edition we've produced so far. So check that out as well. Other than that, that's all we got. We will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a great day.